Hey, if you're uh, new with us today, you know, like all churches, we've got traditions, we've got liturgy, we've got stuff that we do. Uh, One thing that we do around here is there's a certain question that I ask from time to time. And when I ask that question, the response from you is to raise your hands enthusiastically and say, yeah! Yeah. Okay, so get ready. Here it comes. Who's up for something weird? Yeah! Man, I'm so happy because I don't know what I would have done otherwise. Um, So today, instead of a, like, regular sermon, we're going to talk about the vision of this church. Um, Proverbs 29, 18 in the old King James Version says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I'm going to tell you that that verse has been greatly misunderstood. And I'm afraid and kind of embarrassed to say, I think that verse has been misused a lot um, by preachers um, saying, look, we all, what that means is we got to get on the same page. We got to get on the same page, man. You, this, this is my vision. And if you don't follow my vision, death is imminent. My vision is that we would have a $60 million cathedral with a putting green in the pastor's office, praise Jesus, that we would have our own CBCB TV network, that I would have a Gulfstream jet with a church logo on the back so I could fly all over the world and spread the gospel to places like Tahiti and Hawaii and Greece and Paris. And um, just for my information, if I were to present it like that, would any of you buy that? Because I could switch this thing up in a heartbeat. <laughs> now, okay, so let me, let me tell you kind of the problem, I think, with some of the interpretation of that. It's really a couple of, of key words. The first one is this word, vision. Um, this is the Hebrew word, hazon, and this word specifically, necessarily, means a divine vision. This means God's vision, not not my vision. This isn't about us all being on the same page. This is about us being on his page. This is not about us getting into what Larry thinks we should do or what I, this is us trying to seek what God sees for us and what God wants for us and what God wants for us to do. The second word is this word, perish. Uh, this is the Hebrew word, yepera. Um, and it, it can mean um, to perish. Um, but you know, like when a word is translated many times in the Bible, one of the best things you can do is see how, how it's translated in other places and what it most commonly means. And it can mean perish, but almost every place where this word shows up in the Bible, it means something like flailing around. It means like flopping around, like out of control, no direction. Um, it can, um, ineffective, just going no place, um, or uncovered. Some places it means uncovered. And so I think the sense of this is if we, want this, if we want the covering of God's leading and if we want the covering of God's power and if we really want to not just not perish, if we really want to live, if we want to live lives that are full of the peace and the presence of God and especially the power and the purpose of God, then we need to get his vision us. And so uh, one way to paraphrase this verse might be to say, if we don't have God's vision, then we're not really going to live the life of joy and peace and purpose that he has for us. And we're just going to flail around aimlessly. So it's really important, I think, that church leadership and our whole church seeks his vision. 
and, and that we all see who he's calling us to be and what he's calling us to do as this church because we are this church. So I think it's a really good investment of a sermon or a sermon series um, to talk about the vision for this church. And let me tell you why. I think for too long in the church, people's version of Christianity has been that they're, they're basically customers of Christianity, right? They kind of show up, you know, I'm getting something I want, I'll come back next week. Um, if I don't get what I want, there's always football, right? There's always something else, right? But it's just like, I'll go. I mean, you know, Jesus is part of my life, yeah. Going to church, yeah, I, I, I do that some weeks, you know? I, I, that's, that's something that I do, and I just, I just don't think that's what Jesus has for us. I think there's supposed to be more to following Jesus than that. I think your, your faith life and your real life is supposed to be the same life. It's not supposed to be, well, I'm living my life all week, I'm doing what I do, this is my life, this is what makes me happy, this is what makes me sad, this is what I'm interested in, this is what I'm passionate about, these are my goals, these are my objectives, this is what I'm trying to do, this is my real life. Then on Sunday, from 11 to 12.30, 12.35 if Larry goes long, right? It, then during that time, then that's my faith life, and I'll just keep those things compartmentalized, right? And I'm, I, I just don't think that's what Jesus has for us. So I think it's really important that you should listen and you should try to really understand who God is calling this church to be and what God is calling this church to do. Really hear our identity and really hear our mission. And if it relates to you, right, if it resonates with you, if, you, if, it, if it moves you, if it speaks to you, if God is giving you that same vision, then you know what you should do? You should not be a consumer. You should not just show up late and leave early and you know, check your box, oh, I went to church today. You should plunge in with both feet. You should, no, no, more, no more consumer stuff. Just, just really plunging in and really be part of who God's calling us to be and really find your place in what God's calling us to do and really get involved serving and worshiping and growing and giving and praying and being part of what God is doing here and taking the gospel outside with you when you leave so that we take the gospel with us out of this building and into our neighborhoods and into our families and into our schools and into our work and into our community and into our world. If this resonates with you, if this vision is your vision, if this is God's vision for you, then you should, you should make real friends here. People that you can really laugh with and people that you can really cry with and people that you can really support and people that can support you, people that will hold you accountable when it's time to grow and people that will just hold you when it's time to cry. If the vision of this church, if what God is calling us to do and what God is calling to be speaks to you and resonates with you, you should, you should take the plunge. You should get in with both feet. And we have such a great picture of that in the New Testament church in Acts chapter two. And so God, this, God used this church to change the world. But I want you to look at how they live their lives. And I'm gonna say, with well, this thing of, well, this is my real, this is my work, this is my sports, this is my dating, this is my family, and all that. that's one. But then here's my faith life that lasts for an hour every Sunday. Look how different that is to what these people were living. Um, this is Acts 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped in the temple 
each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Does that sound like an hour and 15 minutes a week to you? No, and look at the results. Verse 47 says, all the while they were praising God, they were enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and every day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Their, their faith was not something that they did from 11 to 12, 15. Man, their, their faith life and their real life was the same life. And they lived that life together. They lived that life in community. And I, I'm, I, don't think, I don't think that that passage is just descriptive. I don't think that's just telling us what they did. I think it's prescriptive. I think it's telling us what we're supposed to do. I think that's what it is to follow Jesus. We do it in community. And so I just think it's really important that you get connected with the vision of your church community. So I'm gonna invest some time and I'm gonna share with you what I feel is God's vision for this church. And I'll apologize in advance because some of you have heard like parts of this before. Some of you may have heard all of it before at a staff meeting or at a membership class or just talking. Um, I, just, I just so feel like it's important that we're all on the same page so that we can have unity and so that each one of us can become who God's calling us to be and do what God's calling us to do together. So for, man, o over a year, um, we've been in kind of a discovery period. Um, I keep calling it a vision quest. You know what vision quest is? You know what that's about? So like in some Native American cultures, uh, when a boy was becoming a man, he needed a vision for how he, who he was gonna be and what he was gonna do. So what he would do is he would go up in the ice cold mountains by himself in a cleft in the rock, like in a cave, and up there completely naked and with no food. And for three or four days, he would just sit there and shiver and smoke peyote. And that's what they did. And, he's just, and he just, he wants a vision to come. He wants a vision to come. And I'm telling you that the leadership of this church for the last year and a half has been it's been awesome. Uh, but we did it without the cold and without the hunger and without the nakedness and without the peyote. So it's actually like nothing like a vision quest at all. <laughs> except, except that we have, we have been seeking God for a vision for our church. And I would love to tell you that that's because I am so brilliant and I'm so intentional and I'm staying ahead of everything and we're planning everything out 50 years in advance or something. But it, it really kind of just happened. Um, I really think it was God leading us a lot more than any of us having an idea that we should do this. So most of you know, we found some land down the street and we were, we were looking to build a great big church building on it. And um, we were planning to be able to handle about three or 4,000 people uh, on a Sunday, and it would be expandable um, to grow uh, bigger than that. Because you know why? I'll tell you why. We see hundreds of families moving to this neighborhood, right? Hundreds and hundreds of families are coming to this community. It's like, what are we going to do? These people need Jesus. What are we going to do? I guess it's on us. I guess we're gonna have to build this enormous place and we're just gonna have to pack these people in. So anyway, we get under contract with this piece of land and the property, if you've ever done any real estate stuff, commercial, um, it has a time uh, phase for due diligence, 
right? Due diligence is the time that we say, look, we're under contract. They've got to sell it to us if we want to buy it. But during this time, we're going to do some homework and we're going to get surveys done. We're going to find out about all the civil stuff, drainage and all that stuff. What about trees? Oh, if you cut down a tree, you've got to replace the tree. What about ingress and egress with DPS and getting, you know, the, so you can get in and out of the parking lot? What about traffic flow and all that stuff? And oh yeah, by the way, can we come up with between 15 and 20 million dollars? So that's what we were doing during our due diligence period. But um, a weird thing started happening during that period. And that was while we were doing our practical due diligence and while we were doing our civil due diligence and while we were doing our financial due diligence, we also did some spiritual due diligence. And I kind of felt like, you know, I, I mean, I think we can make it, I, I think we can do this. I think we can make it work with the drainage problems. I think we can make it work with the tree problems. I think we can raise $18 million. I, I think we can build a church that will accommodate three or 4,000 people. And it sounds big and it sounds crazy, but I, I think we can. But we had this like lingering feeling that maybe it wasn't supposed to just be about if we can. Maybe it should be about if we should. Is that who God's calling us to be? Is that what God's calling us to do? Because listen, and this is, this is, you should take this into your life. I want us to do as a church, I want to do personally, I want for each one of you, I want to do everything and only what God calls me to do and what God empowers me to do. Right? I don't want to do what I want to do in my strength, in my power, in my ideas. I want to do everything God calls me to do, but I only want to do what God empowers me to do. And so we're just really looking at this thing. I mean, could we do that? I mean, I, I think we can, but, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with great big churches. There's amazing things going on at great big churches, but we've just always been so about relationships. We've always been so about doing life together. We've always been so about knowing each other and taking care of each other and, and learning together and growing together and serving together and experiencing Jesus together. And it's just really hard to think about what that looks like with 5,000 people. You know, and so that's the question, like, is that, is that who we are? You know, 2,000 people in a room that only cross paths for an hour a week. Is that, is that who we are? But we also kept thinking about all those people moving here. What are we going to do about them, right? How, how's that going to work? How are we going to minister to thousands of people when we can barely accommodate hundreds of people? So it kind of felt almost like, like, we didn't have a choice, you know? We're going to have to. And so we started asking God for vision. And, and I really, I'm, I'm proud of our church because I really think everybody's attitude, all the leadership and pastors and elders and department heads, everybody, I really think the attitude was, look, we'll be whoever God calls us to be, right? We'll do whatever God calls us to do, but, but what is that? You know, if we, if we aren't supposed to be a mega church, then like, like, what are we supposed to be? And if we aren't supposed to be three or 4,000 people a week, then how big are we supposed to be? And instead of asking how big can a church get, maybe we should be asking how big should a church get? And specifically, maybe more importantly, how big should this church get? And so we began to pray that God would reveal his vision for this church to us through his word, right? through his spirit, through his people, 
lots of conversations. I've talked to lots of you. Lots of you have done surveys and we've had conversations and everything. And also, I'll be honest, also I did um, something maybe stupid. Um, I asked God to give us signs. All right, you ever do that? <laughs> Don't do that, people. Come on. Be spiritual. Don't do that. Um, you know Gideon? You know the story of Gideon? God told him to do something. He goes, yeah, I hear you saying that. I want to make sure it's you, so give me a sign. So God gives him a sign. And God's like, okay, you're going to do it or not? And he goes, well, you know what? Can you give me another sign? Right? So I don't, want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to rely too much on the signs. I want to rely on what the word says about what a church should be. Right? I want to rely on what his spirit is speaking to us about what it should be. I want to, he may speak to me through you. I want to listen to his voice. Um, but honestly, I did ask for signs. And I, <laughs> and I saw him. But let me tell you something. Um, you got to be careful when you ask for signs, right? Because, like, you ever get, like, a new car, and all of a sudden you see those cars everywhere? Do you ever do that? We just got a Ford Explorer, right? I never saw a Ford Explorer before. (laughs) They're everywhere. You know why? I'm looking for them now, right? So you have to be careful when you ask for signs. We want to temper this thing about the signs with the Word, with the Spirit, and with His people. But I ask God on a Wednesday, you know, God, will you just give me some signs, man? Are we supposed to try to become a great big church or are we supposed to really try to focus on being a more relational church? And so here's my signs, right? Uh, within about 24 hours, I got about 20 phone calls from different people saying, hey, pastor, um, I'm really confused about this passage of scripture. Can I come talk to you? Hey, pastor, we're at the hospital. Something horrible has happened. Can you come pray with us? Hey, pastor, we have a crisis at our house. Can you come be with us during this hard time? And each time I said, yeah, yeah. And I started wondering if we were 4,000 people. Is that how that works? And so, I don't know. Is that a sign? So that was like Wednesday. Thursday, we were having a meeting of some of the teammates that we had begun to put together a team to raise $18 million, right? And some of the key players on that team was a couple, you may know, uh, Tomas and Kristen Schramm. I mean, are they in here? Oh, good, we'll talk about them. So they're awesome. So they're like super smart people, right? And so if I'm gonna raise 20 million bucks, I want them helping me, right? So I'd ask them to come and help us and all that stuff. So now, like, I'm out here on the, on the uh, ramp going up to the portables, and I'm walking down, and he's walking up, right? And so here comes Tomas. This is a key player, man. And he comes walking up to me, and he goes, hey, can I talk to you for a sec? I'm, yeah, sure, of course. And he says, um, listen, if this is what we're doing, we're in. If this is where God has taken this church, man, we are in. But, and I'm never going to say this again after today, he said, we left a giant church to come to this church for a reason. Is that a sign? I don't know. About that time, here comes a parade of four and five-year-old kids, right? They don't care that we're talking about 20 million bucks, right? And as they're walking past, six or eight of them, right? And as they're walking past in their little line, each one of them turns to me like this. What does that mean? Pick me up, right? And as I picked each one of them up and they told me about their new puppy or they told me they had a birthday party or they told me that their daddy says I preach for too long. They told me, oh, mommy and daddy are fighting and I made a poo-poo and whatever, all this stuff they're talking about. And so then I put them down and I said, is that a sign? Not that I preach too long because I don't care about that. Is that, a, is that like, is that, would those kids have, it was, it was interesting to me that this row of six or eight little girls and boys thought they were comfortable, like, talking to me. And I, I just don't know if that happens in a church of four or 5,000 people. 
So now the week is happening, right? All these signs, all these signs. So now it's Sunday morning, and I'm, I'm in the lobby, and I'm watching you, and everybody's eating donuts and praying together and talking and laughing and everything. It's like, we can't get them to come into church. You know, let's go. We're starting church. We're starting church. And everybody just talking and hugging each other. And I thought, golly, these people love each other, man. These people know each other. They're in each other's lives. And then after church, I mean, everybody's right back out in the lobby. We can't lock up because everybody's hanging out and talking and making plans. What are you doing this week? I'm going to send my two kids home with this family. I'm going to send one of my kids home with that family. And I know you're just trying to get rid of your kids, but it means something. <laughs> it means something. Listen, it, you, can you imagine the trust level that people have when they're sending their kids home with other people? I mean, is that a sign? Does that happen in a community of 5,000 people? So then that afternoon... I get a text from a pastor uh, here in town. He's on a sabbatical, and he'd have been in church here that morning because he wanted to find out, you know, how you're supposed to do it. So, <laughs> so he, he calls me after church, and he goes, I thought, I thought what he was going to say is, what a brilliant sermon, you know. Can I steal it? But no, something else. Uh, so he calls me, and he goes, you know, I've seen you wearing those shirts that say there's a place for you here, and I've seen it on your sign. And I thought, what a cute little tagline or whatever. But he said, man, today I saw what you mean by that. Because those people, it's like a family. And they're so comfortable with each other and everything. He said, it was so weird because like we came in and as comfortable as all these little circles of people were, each one of those circles of people like opened, <laughs> you know, for us to kind of come into their circle. And I thought, is that a sign? Does that happen in a church of 4,000 people? So... You know, between fasting and prayer and really searching scripture and really talking and talking to you and talking to each other and thinking and all these signs, we're really beginning to feel at this point like, you know what, maybe we're not supposed to get so big if there's a risk of losing that, right? If there's a risk of losing that, that closeness and that feeling of family and that feeling of togetherness, that's biblical. That's, what, that's biblical. That's, we're, that's prescriptive. Right? That stuff happening in the lobby and out there on the ramp and at the hospital and at people's houses, that's scriptural. That's the church. So should we, can we risk losing that so that we can have more people come to church here? But then again, look at the trouble we've got. So we're saying, no, we don't want to do that, but what about all these people? So we're really, I mean, just you know, kind of praying, God, like, like what are you up to? It's like an impossible choice, right? It's an impossible choice. We, we stay like this and we don't minister to all those people or we minister to all those people, but we lose this. And so it's like, well, you know, help. What are, what are we supposed to do? And then, I don't know, maybe it was like Monday or Tuesday, we get a phone call um, from Community Bible Church, the church that planted us 17 years ago giant mega church and they said hey we just want courtesy we just want to let you guys know that we're about to plant another church out there kind of in your backyard and also um, I don't know if you know this but Mission City Church which is another big mega church is going to be planting out there and also North Rock Church which is another church that's a huge church in San Antonio is going to be planting out there and so my first response like full transparency my first response is they want a piece of us? <laughs> yeah. You kind of come out here? You can try to compete with us? Like, I'll... 
that lasted about three minutes. And then it was like, oh, maybe that's the solution to our problem. Yeah. Maybe God had a plan. All right? Maybe, maybe this means we can actually, maybe, you know what I mean by the capital C church? and the lowercase c, like the capital C church, that's the worldwide church, that's all body of Christ, everybody that's in Christ, and then like the lower C church, well that's like our little church, or that little church, or that little church, right? And so I thought, well maybe, instead of me getting bugged about this, I should see that this is a solution, and maybe it's possible that the capital C church can reach those thousands of people if all the lowercase churches will just be who they're called to be, and just do what they're called to do. So now we're thinking, okay, you know, it seems like we've kind of got some direction and maybe we're hearing right. And maybe this idea of a huge corporate megachurch is not who we're called to be. And God may call other people to that and there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Every, every Christian has individual spiritual gifts and passions and talents and interests, right? And every church, right? You're called to do a certain specific thing. The person next to you is called to do something else, right? This church is not necessarily called to do and be exactly what a church next door to us is. Does that make sense? Yeah, so maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's, it's okay that we do that. So we're thinking, well, maybe we're not supposed to be this huge mega church. Um, so we pull the contract, right? Uh, but here's the thing that we then started talking about. If that's not who God's calling us to be, if that's not what God's calling us to do, then who is he calling us to be? And what, what are we called to do? And so we started thinking more and more about like, as a church, what is God's vision? Remember, what is God's vision for us? And I realized that we, we needed to um, identify our identity. We need to kind of within the capital C church, right? Within the worldwide church, like where do we fit? What's, what's special about us? What's unique about us? What are our limitations? Um, what, what are the things that we're good at? And what are the things that we love to do? And what are the, we can't do everything. What are the things we can do? Right? What are the things that we can't not do? And I, I knew it was something about relationships. I knew it was something about family. I knew it was something about home because that's, that's who we are. It's who we are. For 17 years, I've been meeting you. People come to church. They come once, right? And, and then they come back. And it's like, well, why did you come back? And it's always the same story, man. I, every single, not every single, almost every person that's ever come to this church a second time. And we said, well, why did you come back? Like we're all surprised. Why'd you come back? And they'll always say, well, you know, it's the weirdest thing. We were, we're just trying out churches. You know, we just Googled it, whatever. And we, we, these people, Jim and Andreas, they came here. They had a list of the churches they were going to visit. They had a list of the churches they were going to visit. And they came here, and in the parking lot, on the way out of here, they said, okay, we're done. We're home. Felt like family there. That's who we are. That's who we are. I did a meeting to talk to some people about uh, membership a couple of weeks ago. There were six people in my office, and we're talking about membership and what the church is all about. Should you become a member or whatever? And uh, I was asking them, give me like your three-minute bio, you know, to tell me how'd you meet Jesus, how'd you get together, your family, your job, how'd you get to this church, you know, that kind of stuff. And of the six people that gave their two-minute biographies, 
in that meeting, of the six, six of them used the word home. Six of them said, it just felt like home when we came to this church. Four of them used the word family. So it's like, I, man, as we're trying to figure out our identity, it's something about that. And it's important that we figure out what it is. It's important that we figure out what our identity is because once we really know our identity, it's a lot easier to focus on our mission. The more, the more we understand our identity, the easier it is for us to focus on our mission. Once we know who we're called to be, it's a lot easier for us to figure out what we're called to do. And then once we have our identity, once we have our mission, once we really know who God's calling us to be, we really know what God's calling us to do, then we can really drill down and we can really focus on becoming effective, not flailing around, trying to be all kinds of different stuff to all kinds of different people, but instead, what is God's vision for us? And we can get focused on that with our programming, right? With our budgets, with our teaching, with our systems, with our hiring, with everything that we do. Instead of flailing, we can be effective, right? We can, we can not perish, but we can really have life. So we want to find who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do, we want to focus on that. We want to drill down. We want to hone in on that. And then we want to communicate that. Yeah, this is who we are. This is what we're trying to do. We want to let the people around us know about that um, through, I don't know, a name, a look, um, a brand that communicates who we are so that people who are really looking for that kind of church can jump in and plunge right, like the Acts 2 church, not sort of, they can dig in, and this sounds terrible, but frankly also so that people who are looking for something else don't waste time here, because we can't be everything to everybody. If you're looking for a church where you can come in and sit down and leave and nobody will talk to you, I got bad news. <laughs> you're at the wrong place, right? You're at the wrong place. If you're looking for a church where you can come in and sit by yourself and cry and not have somebody come up and ask you what's going on, I'm, I mean, maybe there's value in that, but that ain't us. And so this, this, this branding idea, this communicating who we are idea is really important. So here's the order, right? We got to figure out who we are, what we're supposed to do. We want to really drill down and focus on who we are, what we're supposed to do. And then we want to communicate to the world around us who we are and what we're trying to do. And so, like, well, how does that work? And so, um, we did something weird. Um, we hired a branding company. Yeah, and so when I first heard this idea, I cannot tell you how gross it tasted in my mouth to say the word branding about our church, right? Like, what, that's, no, no, no. That is not what this is. But we hired him, and when we hired this company, I told the guy, look, as we're feeling them out, I said, I just need, to, I need you to understand where we're coming from. And here's what it is. For us, branding does not mean marketing. Branding has nothing to do with advertising. We're not trying to trick people into coming to church here with a slick advertising campaign, right? We've already said we're only willing to get a little bigger than we are right now, and then we're just going to plant another church. So we're not, that's not what it means to us. What we wanted them to do for us is to help us identify and help us clarify and help us communicate who God's calling us to be and what God's calling us to do. And so I'm gonna tell you that that process was long and arduous. 
It was very frustrating. It was a lot of really weird conversations and really awkward things to talk about. And it was really a lot of prayer and a lot of arguing and a lot of talking. Um, and that was all to figure out, like, well, who are we? You know, in the body of Christ, you know, are we a kidney? Are we a heart? You know, you don't need two hearts, right? So we, we want to be what we're supposed to be. So, like, what's, what's our deal? What's unique about us? What's special about us? What's different about us and other churches? And, and the more we pray, God, what is the difference about us versus other churches? The more we realize that the difference is you. That the difference is just real people and families and friends that actually care about each other and that really want this New Testament model of community and who really see that the New Testament is about we, not me. It's people that see that God designed us and God is calling us to follow Jesus together. People that recognize that we are better together. We're more effective together. We're more efficient together. We're happier together. People that see each other as like brothers and sisters in a family, not like, like cogs in a big corporate machine, not people that just cross paths for an hour once a week, but people who really, their real life and their faith life is the same life, and they want to do that life together. So for the next several weeks, we're going to talk a lot about our mission and what we're called to do as a church, but today we're going to really focus just on this idea of identity, like who are we called to be? And after a year and a half of prayer and fasting and talking and arguing and studying scripture and looking for signs and all that, I really believe that God has given us a name. I really believe. If you look at the Old Testament especially, it's amazing how it'll tell you somebody's name, then it'll tell you what it means, right? It wasn't just what they were called, right? It's who they were. And I think God has given us this, this name, who we really are and who we are called to be is home church. And it's, it's kind of who we've always been. You know, we're, we're just not a big corporate church. We're home church. And I think this word home really exemplifies who we are. Um, as we're talking to people, you know, the branding people, they want you to, every word, well, you've got to run it through a, a focus group and see if that word offends them or if they excites them or how they feel about it or whatever. And home is a funny word, man. Home is a funny word because people that grew up in a great home, they want that. They've had a taste. They can't do without home. People that grew up in a less than great home, also want that. They have a yearning for that. I think we're, we're wired for that. I think it's in each one of us to want home. Home is where the heart is, right? I mean, home is where we feel connected. Home is where you're welcome and, and accepted and comfortable. Home is where people really know you. And, and they love you anyway. Right? So you can actually be yourself. Home is where... Home is where you're prepared and, and, and launched from to go out into the world and do great things and also where you know you can always come back. At home you have like some benefits and you have some responsibilities 
And you share them both with your brothers and sisters. Home is where you know that regardless of how your date was, what's going on at school, what's going on at work, what's going on outside, home is where you know that whatever's going on out there, you're safe and you're loved in here. So effective right now. Let's synchronize our watches. We are changing our name to Home Church. Yeah. So listen, that name is intentionally not complex. It's not complicated. It's not particularly sophisticated. And do you know why? Look around. <laughs> right? We, we're, we're not complex, man. We're not, we're not complicated. We're not particularly sophisticated, you know? This is who we are. It's, we're, we're, we're simple. This is who we are. We ask these branding people for a simple logo. I want a simple, I don't want, I don't want a logo that like six of us know what all those 1,500 things mean in that logo that nobody but us knows about. I said, well, you want something simple. And boy, they gave it to us. It's an open door. And that's, that's what we want because we want people to see if you're new to the area or if you're new to following Jesus, the door is open. We want people to know that if you've been lost or if you've been away, or if you've been distracted, or if you've been kind of halfway following Jesus and you're ready now to take that plunge, the door's open. And we wanted people to see that this door swings both ways. And what I mean by that is we don't want to just live out our faith in here, right? We want to we wanna take it out with us into our families, into our work, into our school, into our community, into our world. And we want... Like a home. We want this to be like a home. We want it to be a place to like re-engage and, and reboot and refill and refuel and recharge to go out and fulfill your purpose in God's kingdom. Home church. It's, it's, not, it's not really new. Um, it's who we've always been. In fact, it's actually summed up pretty well in that tagline that we've had forever that says there's a place for you here. We've been saying that for 17 years, and it, it means a lot of things, man. Um, there's a place for you here means you're welcomed, right? You're accepted. You're loved. You do fit in here like a puzzle. No matter how weird your shape is, you still fit in here, and we, and we, we want you here. We want to laugh with you, and we want to cry with you, and we want to, you know, help you, and we want to um, get under those heavy burdens with you. And we want to just worship with you and pray with you and learn with you and grow with you and become like Jesus with you. There's a place for you here means you're welcome. But it also means there's a place for you here to matter. There's a place for you here to find your place in the body of Christ. There's a place for you here to actually do ministry that impacts the kingdom. There's a place for you here to plug in and be used by God to change the world. So this, there's a place for you here means several things. It means you're welcome. Um, it means there's a place for you here to matter. Um, it means ecumenism. Anybody, who knows the word ecumenism? <laughs> so I can say anything right now. Right, okay. 
So ecumenism is the idea that we, we value what Jesus valued, what Jesus prayed for. We value unity. Right? That's ecumenism. And we value unity even more than we value being exactly right on every specific thing. Go like this a little bit, it'll help me a lot right now. Okay? Um, so, um, there's a whole lot of people in here from a whole lot of different backgrounds and a whole lot of different church traditions. And there's probably some disagreement on some tiny little details of theology. And ecumenism says that's okay with us. There's a place for you here, even if your belief is a tiny bit different than mine, right? If you've been through the membership class with me, you know, like I hate the word non-denominational because non-denomination, non sounds like we don't want Methodists, right? We're not against Methodists, we just don't want Baptists. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry, I, no, that's not true. I love Baptists. Forget that part. We're not non-denominational. Look, we're the opposite of that. We're inter-denominational, right? We're made out of lots of people from lots of denominations, and that's an important part of who we are. There's a place for you here, even if your belief about a certain little thing is a tiny bit different than ours, because the thing that unites us in Jesus is so much bigger than all that little stuff that tries to divide us, and I'm gonna prove it to you with a demo. Who's up for something weird? Yeah! Okay, what I want you to do? Think of the church, think of the church you grew up in. I grew up in the Perryton, Texas, Oak Street Church of Christ, okay? So think of the church you grew up in or the church that you went to last before you discovered the best church, okay? Think of the church that you went to in another town or something, just think of one. When you have one, go like this. Everybody got one? Okay, I'm gonna count to three. On the count of three, I want you to yell out the name of that church, full name, ready? One, two, three. <laughs> that sounds horrible, right? But there's no harmony. Right? There is nothing beautiful about what just happened. But now, on the count of three, you same people that just did that, on the count of three, I want you to yell out the first name of your Lord and Savior. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus. Do you see the harmony? Do you see the beauty? The thing that unites us is so much more beautiful. Right? It's so much better and so much bigger than all of these little bitty things to try to divide us. There's a place for you here, even if your beliefs are a tiny bit different. So we have to kind of identify the difference between tiny little beliefs and really big, important beliefs, right? And so any web page that you go to for a church um, will have a what we believe page, right? And they're interchangeable, man. <laughs> I think some people are just copying and pasting from one church to another. So we wanted ours to be a little bit different because of this idea that's important for us, for everybody to understand that we're ecumenical here. We value unity. And so um, I'll just show you. This is what our beliefs page is gonna look like on our new website. See, it says beliefs. Um, it's at Home Church, Texas. Um, theological stuff. We're unified in the big stuff. We don't make small stuff into big stuff. And we love people regardless of their stuff. What do you think? Yeah? So this is, the, this is the dumbed down version of what somebody really smart named John Wesley once said, which he said, in essential beliefs, we have unity. In non-essential beliefs, we have liberty. And in all beliefs, we can show charity. So for us, 
we're together, man. You wanna talk about who Jesus is? That's not debatable for us, right? You wanna talk about whether the word is really from God? That is, man, we're unified in the big stuff. But we refuse to make small stuff into big stuff. And we love people, regardless of their stuff. So there's below that a whole bunch of scriptures. And as we go through this, you're gonna notice there's a bunch of scriptures in every one of these things. These are not my opinions. Okay, so here we have some examples. On the left side, these are some essentials. Biblical authority, the Trinity, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, sin, and salvation. Those are important, man. Those are essential, not just important, essential things. On the right side, some essential, some examples of important but non-essential. Predestination. You want to start a fight in a church? That's a good place to start right there. Church worship styles, not essential. Eschatology. Are you pre-trib? Are you post-trib? Are you a praetorist? What do you think? I mean, that's not essentials, right? Speaking in tongues, drinking alcohol, political parties, watching Disney movies, dressing up for Halloween, listening to Taylor Swift music. Listen, those are non-essentials, okay? But if you go a little further down, you'll see some examples of essentials, and there you see the Bible. You click on that, it'll tell you what we think about the Bible, right? That's, That's essential. Right? And it's got some verses to back it up, not my opinions. You can go down and read any one of those things and you'll see all the, the salvation and the work of Christ. That's kind of important, right? That's an essential. So in the essential things, yeah, we gotta be together, man. We gotta have unity in that stuff, but we refuse to take little unimportant stuff and let it divide the harmony and the beauty and the unity that Jesus calls us to. Amen? Okay, I'm gonna give you an example of that. I'm gonna give you an example of that. This is an important one. Um, some of you guys know a guy named Ed Stevens. You know Ed? So Ed's been here since we started the church forever. He's taught about 100 classes here. He's super involved, awesome guy. He's amazing. Um, about, I don't know, a couple of years ago, year and a half ago, um, I preached a couple of sermons about women in ministry. You want to start a fight in a church. Boy, that's where you start. And so for about three weeks, we talked about these different ideas, right? You have the people who believe in complementarianism, which means that men are this way and women are this way and they're designed to go together and they shouldn't try to do each other's thing, right? And then you have egalitarians who say there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free, there is no male or woman in, uh, man or woman in Christ, right? So these are like the two different ideas. And for three weeks, we talked about this idea and this idea, and I just said, I tell you, I think I am a complementary egalitarian, <laughs> right? Because I see value and I see truth in kind of both of those things. And so as we kind of unpacked it, we said, but on a practical level, we gotta make some decisions about how we're gonna do this. And so as a complementarianist, I do believe that men are better than women at some stuff, and women are better than men at some stuff. I mean, I've never asked Margaret to reach something off a top shelf for me right? I'm better at that than her. I am better at that than her. And so I think men are better at some things. Women are better at something. You know what else? Some people have certain spiritual giftings, so they're really good at certain things. Some people have an education in something that other people, they're really good in those things. Some people are really passionate about something that this person's not passionate about. They're better than those people are at those things. But I don't think that the Bible shows us in the New Testament that women are specifically inferior to men in teaching or leadership, okay? So that means in this church, a woman can be a leader and a woman can even be called pastor. That means in this church, a woman can teach, even teach men, even teach men on Sunday morning. 
And so I, that's not for everybody. I understand that's not, you know, everybody doesn't feel exactly the same way, but that's kind of where we landed. Okay, back to my story. Here's what happened. Um, so here's Ed. I just told you about Ed. And it's, we're out here in the back parking lot one Wednesday or Thursday night, and I'm going to, to teach a class, and he's going to teach a class. So Ed, we're walking past, and he goes, hey, can I talk to you about something just for a second? And I said, sure, yeah, what? And he goes, it's about this thing with women. And I said, oh, my God. Like, you said it's going to take a second, right? <laughs> We're going to be here all night. So it's like, okay, let me protect my kidneys. Okay, go. Let's, you know, bring it. And so he says, okay, well, listen, I heard your perspective. And you talked about it for three weeks. So I get it. I understand what you think. And I know you understand what I think because you said it. For three weeks, you talked about my perspective as much as you talked about your own perspective. So there's no reason for us to fight right now. There's no reason for us to yell right now. But I'm going to tell you something. I completely, vehemently disagree with your position on this thing. And so I thought, oh my gosh, you know, this is going to be like a war. So I didn't know like what to say next. You know, I didn't want to like push him or something. But like, what do I say next to that? And so I said, so what now? <laughs> And he goes, well, I got a class to teach. You got a class to teach. See you Sunday. That's ecumenism right there. That's what it means. We disagree on that thing. We did, we're, listen, look, at, look around you. There's hundreds of people in here. They all came from different backgrounds. We all have a little bit different ideas about little bitty things, about details. We're not going to see eye to eye on every single thing. And I'm sure a thousand years from now, we'll be sitting around the campfire with Jesus, eating s'mores or whatever you do. And we're going to be with you. And Jesus is going to tell Ed, you know, Ed, Larry was right about that. <laughs> so, you know. Or, or possibly. He's going to say, you know, Larry, Ed was right about that. And, and either way, meanwhile, we got better things to do than argue. You know, there are people around us who are lost and hungry and hurting and need Jesus. God has included us in his plan to redeem the world. We got work to do. And we do that work best together like brothers and sisters in a family, yeah? The, the family of God. It's a huge family. It's, a whole, it's, it's, it's all over the whole world. But our immediate family spends a lot of time here at home. So, yeah, whether you've been with us for 17 years or if today's your first day with us, um, let me be the first to say welcome to home church. And, and like... Pavlonian dogs. <laughs> Every time we hear that word, home church, I want us to remember this little line. There's a place for you here. Home church. There's a place for you here. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you because you've called us to this incredible mission. You've, you've called us to do something that none of us are capable of even imagining or understanding, let alone doing in our own strength. So we rely completely on you. Thank you for calling us together to follow Jesus, to point the world to him, to, to bring your kingdom here, to change the world. Thank you for including us in this. And Lord, I just, I just praise you for showing us who you've called us to be. And I just ask that you just continue to help us clarify, man. Every day we want to drill down. We want to get a little more efficient, a little more effective, a little more focused on who you're calling us to be and also what you're calling us to do. So thank you for this church. 
And thank you for Jesus, the head of it. In his name, amen.